This week in KMA Land, federal judge dismisses Page County wind energy lawsuit. Wind turbine legal battle heats up in Fremont County. Carbon pipeline ordinance and report sent to Montgomery County Board. More pipeline ordinance talk in Page County and school voucher issue tops Page County legislative briefings. I'm Mike Peterson. This week's episode of As the Turbine Turns featured a major legal plot twist. A federal judge has ruled in favor of the defendants and dismissed a lawsuit regarding wind energy in Page County. Ethan Hewitt has the story. Court records indicate Judge Robert W. Pratt filed an order Tuesday afternoon, including the denial of a local citizens group, the plaintiff in the case, and defendant Jacob Holmes' motions to remand the case back to state court. Additionally, the plaintiff's motion for a temporary restraining order against the County Board of Supervisors and partial motion for summary judgment have also been denied as moot. Finally, motions from the intervener, Shenandoah Hills Wind Project, and defendants, including Page County, the Board of Supervisors, Chuck Morris, Alan Arm, Strong, Jacob Holmes, J.D. King, and Carl Songson have been granted by the judge. The plaintiffs had originally filed the case in Iowa District Court in September before the defendants filed a notice of removal into the federal Southern District of Iowa in October, where the case had sat since. Well, KMA News will have more on this story in the coming days, and the full filing to dismiss is available with this story at KMALand.com. I'm Ethan Hewitt reporting. Meanwhile, the continuing battle surrounding wind energy projects shifted to Fremont County. Lawyer for the citizens group suing the county over wind regulations say county officials failed to comply with local and state regulations. A local citizens group filed a lawsuit in Iowa District Court against Fremont County, including a nearly 60-page petition outlining over 20 separate allegations. The case comes on the heels of the County Board of Supervisors approving road use and decommissioning agreements for Invenergy's proposed Shenandoah Hills wind farm straddling the Page-Fremont County line back on December 28th. Co-counsel Sean Shearer tells KMA News that signing the agreements prompted a quicker filing in the county, mainly due to the petitioners believing the deals do not follow the guidelines outlined in the county ordinance governing wind turbines. For example, the ordinance in Fremont County says any roads, um, utilities, drainage ditches that are damaged as part of the construction, maintenance, repair, or decommissioning have to be funded by the project owner. Then when they go and sign the road use agreement, it just says specified unpaved roads and specified paved roads inside of the footprint will be repaired, but only during the construction period. Other requests per the petition include invalidating the current wind ordinance, permit application approval and agreement approvals to as illegal due to a failure to consider the comprehensive zoning plan. Additionally, Shearer says there have also been concerns raised in Fremont County about whether the Board of Supervisors complied with the Iowa Home Rule statute. Following the proper procedures for having hearings, for amending zoning ordinances, for um, a variety of different violations of their statutory duties under the home rule statute. And they're, they're taking actions that sometimes unanimously without any on the record discussion of the ordinance or the agreement. Shearer says unanimous decisions without the on record discussions have led them to believe there could have been violations of the state's open meetings law. However, Shearer adds the board does know how to adequately address the construction of structures on agricultural land 
pointing to a 2001 cell tower ordinance. Particularly, he says the 2001 ordinance addresses Section 14 of the county zoning ordinance, which includes permitted uses of ag land and a two-and-a-half-story height limitation for non-agricultural structures, contrary to the Wind Energy Conversion Systems Ordinance passed in 2020. The 2001 ordinance went in and specifically added special provisions to the zoning ordinance saying that you can build cell towers in, on agricultural land. They can be between three and 400 feet. Um, and then they had a special application procedure that you went through under the zoning ordinance to get a permit to construct a cell tower. With, with the wind ordinance, the wind ordinance does not ever mention the zoning ordinance. Shearer says per state code, when multiple ordinances could govern the same structure, the more strict regulations take precedence, which in Fremont County would be the original zoning regulations. However, Coal Council Theodore Spohr says the lack of following Iowa's home rule statute appears to be a common trend in counties across the state when establishing regulations for wind turbines. Now, the respondents in the lawsuit, including Fremont County, the Board of Supervisors, and Supervisors Dustin Sheldon, Clint Blackburn, and Chris Clark, have 20 days to respond from the date they were served. A copy of the entire petition is available with the web story at KMALand.com. From wind turbines, we go to another volatile subject in KMA land, carbon pipeline projects. Members of Montgomery County's Planning and Zoning Commission Monday evening approved a draft report regarding the ordinance to be sent to the county's Board of Supervisors for its consideration. Approved by the commission in late December, the ordinance regulates projects such as Summit Carbon Solutions Midwest Express Pipeline, which would cover 18 miles in Montgomery County alone. County Zoning Administrator Barry Byers tells KMA News the report summarizes discussion on the ordinance in previous commission meetings and lists three main concerns regarding CO2 pipelines. One was proximity to hazardous liquid pipelines. Two was impact on economic development and tax base. And the third one was impact on other uses of land such as housing development. Buyers praised Ollers and Cooney, the law firm commissioned by the supervisors to assist the county with developing the ordinance. They actually wrote the body of the ordinance and then the Planning and Zoning Commission provided input on what types of things they would like to see in it as far as setbacks and you know, other requirements that they thought were a good idea to have in place. Jan Norris of West Township is among the residents calling for strict regulations on pipeline projects. During Tuesday morning's regular Board of Supervisors meeting, Norris praised the Zoning Commission's passing of the ordinance and report and called for the supervisors to take action. Thank you for engaging outside council to assist with moving the county through this process. I encourage your board to perform the necessary three public hearings and ask that you ultimately adopt the ordinance. This ordinance has been carefully thought out, and many other counties are doing something similar. Byers says the supervisors must hold a public hearing and three readings on the ordinance before taking action. He says the ordinance will be made available for public review soon. And the pressure for a similar wind turbine ordinance is growing in Page County. Multiple residents spoke out at Tuesday's County Board of Supervisors meeting on the next steps in adopting an ordinance regulating projects such as Summit Carbon Solutions Midwest Express CO2 Pipeline. The project would run roughly seven miles in the northwest corner of Page County, hooking up to Green Plains, Shenandoah, and Fremont County. 
Ollers and Cooney assisted Shelby County in drafting its ordinance, which the county adopted late last year. Summit officials have touted that they're going above and beyond requirements laid out by the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Administration, or PHMSA, including the percentage of wells they will x-ray. But Imogene landowner Marty Maher says the federal regulations, which are also currently under internal review, fall short in certain areas, including the siding or routing of a pipeline. They have guidelines on the diameter of the pipe, the thickness of the pipe as it goes from one state to the next state. They have guidelines on the facilities, say an oil refinery or whatever type of facility would be producing something like this. They have guidelines for the safety of the employees, but they do nothing about siting pipelines. That's not in their jurisdiction. They're working on it, and it may be a year before they come up with it. There's also no standard or accountability for medical services that are provided in case of a release. Mayher re-emphasized a county ordinance is not to stop a project like summits from happening, but instead provide necessary protections for landowners and residents. They're trying to set setback distances from houses, from towns, from water wells, from sewage treatment plants, from schools, from hospitals, from livestock facilities, so that if there is a release, that there would be a little safety factor, not guaranteed anything, but at least there would be some safety factor as opposed to having a pipeline within 300 feet of your house. Per the Shelby County Ordinance, setbacks for the pipeline include two miles from any incorporated city, a half mile from churches, schools, and medical facilities, and no less than a thousand feet from any occupied structure or any confined animal feeding operation or facility. Conversations at the State House are also expected to resume this session, particularly on the use of eminent domain for carbon pipelines. Sioux Center Republican Senator Jeff Taylor says uh, he's already introduced five separate bills ranging from revoking a company's ability to use eminent domain for pipeline construction, requiring 90 percent of the land be acquired by voluntary easements, and requiring pipeline companies to identify their investors. The Page County Board of Supervisors is expected to revisit the ordinance discussions at its regular meeting next Tuesday. One major issue was as hot as the coffee served at a pair of legislative coffees in KMA land last Saturday. Under redistricting, new legislators appeared at legislative briefings in Shenandoah and Clarinda, and discussion over the contentious education savings account issue dominated both events. State Representative Tom Moore was among those voting against the bill, which passed in both the Iowa House and Senate. It was signed by Governor Kim Reynolds late last month. Speaking of the Shenandoah briefing, Moore says opposing the bill was not a difficult choice. Among other things, the Griswold Republican cited a lack of fiscal responsibility. He also expressed concerns over private schools losing autonomy through state regulations. Even though I came through the public school system and taught there and all of that, believe me, there's a place for the private school, and I, and I think Iowa should support that place for the private school. And one of my biggest concerns is the autonomy of that private school, that private school to have their own religious classes if they want to, to have their own methods and, and curriculum and what that's, that's fine uh, as long as they're accredited. But, and, and this is coming from a politician, I don't trust government. State Senator Tom Shipley was a no vote on his side of the chamber. Shipley says the bill proposed in this year's legislative session was different from previous versions rejected the past two assemblies. In three years, everybody and anybody can get that help with the private school. I, I really have issues with 
paying for, you know, they're going to Dowling. We use them as an example, best known there is. You know, if they're sending their kids to Dowling, so be it. But now they're going to get help doing that. And so I'm going to, instead of them spending the money to go to Dowling, we get to help pay for their ski trip. I don't, I'm not buying that, you know. Uh, they've got the means. They've got. They can do it on their own. The Nottoway Republican, however, says he voted in favor of amendments extending operational sharing incentives for school districts for another 10 years, and allowing districts to use categorical funding to address teachers' salaries and other needs. State Representative Devin Wood cited those amendments for supporting the ESA bill. Wood appeared along with Shipley and Moore at Clarinda's legislative briefing. I will tell you that those are two things that I heard repeatedly from my school employees and superintendents um, administration down to the teacher level that was in this bill. It was added through an amendment and I supported that amendment and I am not ashamed to say that I supported rural schools continuing that. And Wood later added that she would be among the first lawmakers calling for any snags in ESAs to be addressed. Officials with at least one KMA land school are celebrating the legislature's decision. Ann Rowling is president of Council Bluff St. Albert School, where educational savings accounts or similar legislation have been on the school's wish list for several years. Rowling told KMA News the state funds provide more opportunities for parents to have a say in their child's education. It's an opportunity for so many parents to decide the right choice for their student, for their son or daughter to be educated in the manner that they see fit. So it truly gives the parents control. It's appropriately called the Student First Act, and that's where putting students first. A St. Albert alum, Rowling, has served as the school's president since November 2020. She says that the ESA accounts are a game-changer in working towards one of her goals, of providing a faith-based education to any student or family that wants it. This jump-started my career, and I'm forever thankful for the school. That being said, I come back, and I, my goal was to have anyone who wanted a Catholic education, we would help them. So the finances weren't an obstacle for them to not receive the education that St. Albert Catholic provides. At least one of the pushbacks from House and Senate Democrats and public school officials is the idea of taxpayer funds flowing into private institutions. However, Rowling says current and potential private school students and parents are also taxpayers who can control where those funds ultimately go. The taxpayers are the ones who voted the, you know, the constituents into their constituents into the legislative offices. So truly it's the taxpayers and the voters through their representatives in the Senate and the House and certainly Governor Reynolds that have made this possible. So it's it's taxpayer money that taxpayers are now being allowed to do what they want with it in in as far as sending their child to whatever school they wish. She adds that St. Albert has primarily functioned at a tuition-based school with little funding from the state government. While her school implements a more Christian faith-based curriculum, Rowling emphasized that whether a school is public or private, the goal should be the same, seeing students succeed. Rowling noted nearly 20% of students in her school are not Catholic, 
which she says indicates a strong interest in a more faith-based education. Meanwhile, angst is growing in KMA land toward another legislative issue, one impacting city and county budgets. Senate Study Bill 1056 relates to the calculation of assessment limitations for residential properties. Among other things, the bill would retroactively reduce the residential property tax rollback published in October of 56.49% to 54.65%. Clarinda City Manager Gary McClarnon told KMA News the proposal comes as the city's budget process for fiscal 2024 is all but wrapped up and with a public hearing set for next Wednesday's City Council meeting. McClarnon says the reduced rollback would have a drastic impact on the city's budget. 60% of our property tax collections are based on that residential rollback. So what we would be looking at from our standpoint, we would lose approximately $7 million in taxable valuation. You know, right now at this point, it would be too late to start over with the budget process. So if they change that now midstream when we're pretty much wrapped up, uh, there's no way we could recover and hit the March 31st deadline for certifying a budget. In addition to losing approximately $7 million in taxable valuation, McClarnon says the rollback change amounts to around $117,000 in lost revenue. Basically, that is one month of public safety budget. You know, that's about a, a third of our library budget. I mean, so what do you go back and you cut at that point if you have to? And I think those are things that we're going to have to look at very strongly if that passes. McClarnon and Clarinda Mayor Craig Hill spoke to local lawmakers following last Saturday's legislative coffee in Clarinda regarding the proposal. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Monday morning, State Representative Devin Wood says she hopes to speak with city and county officials and do more research before voting on the bill. Wood says the goal of property tax reform is to bring more stability and transparency to property owners without pulling the rug out from under local government. We want to make sure that they have, you know, access to the property tax values that they are able to collect. And and we want to make sure that they're able to, you know, budget fairly and, and use the dollars that are allocated for them, too. The proposal comes as city and county officials are working to formulate budgets for next fiscal year. At a special meeting Monday evening, the Red Oak City Council said, a public hearing for February 21st at 5.30 p.m. on the city's proposed maximum property tax levy. However, Mayor Shana Silvius told KMA News that the hearing is pending action from the Iowa legislature on that bill we just told you about, which relates to the calculation of assessment limitations for residential properties. The essence of that legislation is that the residential rollback would be reduced from 56.49% to 54.65% which would mean a reduction in the taxable value of property and our projected TIF district revenues. Sylvia says the city's regular taxable valuation has already dropped roughly $3 million, equating to around $18,000 in lost revenues even before any impacts from the proposed legislation. During the meeting, Vacanti, the city administrator, said the legislation could ultimately impact the quality or quantity of services due to property tax revenues funding a variety of city functions. What are you going to tell the people when you can't open the pool or when you have to lay off one or two police officers or other people at the city operations or the parks aren't getting mowed as frequently as possible or not getting mowed as frequently as possible because you can't keep a full staff on board or the equipment 
We have people in this room right now that are spending a part of each week just keeping equipment running so that they can deliver some kind of service. Nonetheless, city staff and the council continued working through the fiscal 24 budget. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.